Chapter 16 of the Story of a Bad Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Halpert. The Story of a Bad Boy by Thomas Bailey Aldrich. Chapter 16 In Which Sailor Ben Spins a Yarn. Of course, we were all very curious to learn what had befallen Sailor Ben that morning long ago, when he bade his little bride good-bye and disappeared so mysteriously. After tea that same evening, we assembled around the table in the kitchen, the only place where Sailor Ben felt at home, to hear what he had to say for himself. The candles were snuffed, and a pitcher of foaming nut-brown ale was set at the elbow of the speaker, who was evidently embarrassed by the respectability of his audience, consisting of Captain Nutter, Miss Abigail, myself, and Kitty, whose face shone with happiness like one of the polished tin platters on the dresser. "'Well, my hearties,' commenced Sailor Ben. Then he stopped short and turned very red, as it struck him that maybe this was not quite the proper way to address a dignitary like the captain and a severely elderly lady like Miss Abigail Nutter, who sat bolt upright, staring at him, as she would have stared at the tycoon of Japan itself. "'I ain't much of a hand at spinnin' a yarn,' remarked Sailor Ben, apologetically, "'especially when the yarn is all about a man as had made a fool of hisself, and especially when the man's name is Benjamin Watson.' "'Bravo!' cried Captain Nutter, rapping the table encouragingly." Thank ye, sir, thank ye. I go back to the time when Kitty and me was livin' in lodgings by the dock in New York. We was as happy, sir, as two porpoises, which they toil not neither do they spin. But when I seed the money gettin' low in the locker, Kitty's starboard stockin', savin' your presence, marm, I got downhearted, like, seem as I should be obliged to ship again for it didn't seem as I could do much ashore, and then the sea was my natural spear of action. I wasn't exactly born on it like you, but I fell into it the fust time I was let out her my berth. My mother slipped her cable for a heavenly port afore I was old enough to hail her, so I learnt to look on the ocean for a sort of stepmother, and a precious hard one she has been to me. The idea of leaving Kitty so soon arter her marriage went agin my grain considerable i cruised along the docks for something to do in the way of stevedore and though i picked up a stray job here and there i didn't earn enough to buy a ship biscuit for a rat let alone feedin two human mouths there wasn't nothin honest i wouldn't have turned a hand to but the longshoreman gobbled up all the work and an outsider like me didn't stand a show things got from bad to worse the month's rent took all our cash, except a dollar or so, and the sky looked kind of squally afore and aft. Well, I set out one morning, that identical unlucky morning, determined to come back and toss some pay in Kitty's lap if I had to sell my jacket for it. I spied a brig unloading coal at Pier Number 47. How well I remembers it. I hailed the mate and offered myself as a coal heaver but I wasn't wanted, and he told me civilly enough, which was better treatment than usual. As I turned off rather glum, I was signaled by one of them sleek, 
smooth-spoken rascals with a white hat and a weed on it, as is always going on about the peers a-seeking who they may devour. We sailors know em for rascals from stem to starn, but somehow every fresh one fleeces us just as his mate did afore him. We don't larn nothing by experience. We're just no better than a lot of babbies with no brains. Good morning, my man, says the chap, as eily as you please. Morning, sir, says I. Looking for a job, says he. Through the big end of a telescope, says I, meaning that the chances for a job look very small from my point of view. You're a man for my money, says the sharper, smiling as innocent as a cherubim. Just step in here till we talk it over. So I goes with him like a natural-born idiot into the little grocery shop nearby, where we sets down at a table with a bottle atween us. Then he comes out as there is a new Bedford whaler about to start for the fishing grounds, and just one able-bodied sailor like me is wanting to make up the crew. Would I go? Yes, I wouldn't on no terms. I bet you fifty dollars, says he, that you'll come back fast, mate. I bet you a hundred, says I, that I don't, for I've signed papers as keeps me ashore, and the parson has witnessed the deed. So we sat there, he urging me to ship, and I chafing him cheerfully over the bottle. After a while, I began to feel a little queer. Things got foggy in my upper works, and I remembers faint-like signing a paper. Then I remember being in a small boat, and then I remembers nothing, until I heard the mate's whistle piping all hands on deck. I tumbled out with the rest of em, and there I was, on board of a whaler, outward bound for three years' cruise, and my dear little lass ashore waiting for me. Miserable wretch, said Miss Abigail, in a voice that vibrated among the tin platters on the dresser. This was Miss Abigail's way of testifying her sympathy. Thank ye, marm, returned Ben Sailor, doubtfully. No talking to the man at the wheel, cried the captain upon which we all laughed. Spin, added my grandfather. Sailor Ben resumed. I leave you to guess the wretchedness that fell upon me, for I've not got the gift to tell you. There I was, down on the ship's books for a three-year voyage, and no help for it. I feel nigh to six hundred years old when I think how long that voyage was. There isn't no hourglass as runs slow enough to keep a tally of the slowness of them fussed hours but I done my duty like a man. Seem there wasn't no way of getting out of it. I told my shipmates of the trick as had been played on me, and they tried to cheer me up a bit, but I was sore sorrowful for a long spell. Many a night on watch I put my face in my hands and sobbed for thinking of the little woman left among the land sharks, and no man to have an eye on her. God bless her. Here Kitty drew her chair nearer to Sailor Ben, and rested one hand on his arm. Our adventures among the whales, I take it, don't concern the present company here assembled, so I give that the go-by. There is an end to everything, even to whalin' vage. My heart all but choked me the day we put into New Bedford with our cargo of ale. I got three years' pay in a lump, and made for New York like a flash of lightning. The people hove to and looked to me, and I rushed through the streets like a madman, until I came to the spot where Lodging House stood on West Street. But, Lord love ye, there wasn't no such Lodging House there, but a great new brick shop. 
I made bold to go in and ask Arter the old place, but nobody knowed nothin' about it save it had been torn down two years or more. I was adrift now. I had reckoned all them days and nights on gettin' word to Kitty from Dan Shackford, the man as kept the lodgin'. As I stood there, all the wind knocked out of my sails. The idea of running alongside the pearly station popped into my head. The police were likely to know the latitude of a man like Dan Shackford, who wasn't over and above respectable. They did know he had died in the tombs jail that day twelvemonth. A coincidence, wasn't it? I was ready to drop when they told me this. Howsomever, I bore up and give the chief a notion of the fix I was in. He writ a notice, which I put in the newspapers every day for three months, but nothing came of it. I cruised over the city week in and week out. I went to every sort of place where they hired women hands. I didn't leave to think undone that an uneducated man could do, but nothing came of it. I don't believe there was a wretcheder soul in that big city of wretchedness than me. Sometimes I wanted to lay down in the sheets and die. Drifting disconsolate one day among the shippin', who should I overhaul but the identical smooth-spoken chap with a white hat and the weed on it? I didn't know if there was any spent left in me till I clapped eye on that very unpleasant countenance. You villain, says I, where's my little Irish lass as you dragged me away from? And I lighted on him, hat and all, like that. Here Sailor Ben brought his fist down on the deal table with the force of a sledgehammer. Miss Abigail gave a start, and the ale leaped up in the pitcher like a miniature fountain. I begs your pardon, ladies and gentlemen all, but the thought of that fellow with his ring and his watch chain and his walrus face is allus too many for me. I was for pitching him in the North River when a policeman prevented me from benefiting the human family. I had to pay five dollars for hitting the chap. They said it was salt and buttery, and that's what I call a neat genteel luxury it was worth double the money just to see that white hat with a weed on it laying on the wharf like a busted accordion arter months of useless search i went to sea again i never got into a foreign port but i kept watch out for kitty once i thought i seed her in liverpool but it was only a gal as looked like her the numbers of women in different parts of the world as looked like her was amazing so a good many years crawled by, and I was wandering from place to place, never given up the search. I might have been chief mate scores of times, maybe master, but I had no ambition. I seed many strange things in them years, outlandish people in cities, storms, shipwrecks, and battles. I seed many a true mate go down, and sometimes I envied them as they went to their rest." but these things is neither here nor there about a year ago i shipped on board the belphoby yonder and all of a strange wind was ever blown the strangest and the best was the wind as blowed me to this here blessed spot i can't be too thankful that i'm as thankful as it is possible for an uneducated man to be he knows as reads the hearts of all here ended sailor ben's yarn which I have written down in his own homely words, as nearly as I can recall them. After he finished, the captain shook hands with him and served out the ale. As Kitty was about to drink, she paused, 
rested the cup upon her knee, and asked what day of the month it was. The twenty-seventh, said the captain, wondering what she was driving at. Then, cried Kitty, it's ten years this night since... Since what? asked my grandfather. Since the little lass and I got spliced towards Sailor Ben, there's another coincidence for you. On hearing this, we all clapped hands, and the captain, with a degree of ceremony that was almost painful, drank a bumper to the health and happiness of the bride and bridegroom. It was a pleasant sight to see the two old lovers, sitting side by side, in spite of it all, drinking from the same little cup, a battered zinc dipper which Sailor Ben had unslung from a strap around his waist. I think I never saw him again without this dipper and the sheath-knife suspended just back of his hip, ready for any convivial occasion. We had a merry time of it. The captain was in great force this evening, and not only related his famous exploit in the War of 1812, but regaled the company with a dashing sea-song from Mr. Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. He had a mellow, tenor voice, not Shakespeare, but the captain, and rolled out the verse with a will. The master, the swabber, the boatswain, and I, the gunner and his mate, loved Maul, Meg, and Marion, and Marjorie but none of us cared for Kate. A very good song, and very well sung, says Sailor Ben, but some of us does care for Kate. Is this Mr. Shockspear a seafaring man, sir? Not at present, replied the captain, with a monstrous twinkle in his eye. The clock was striking ten when the party broke up. The captain walked to the mariner's home with his guest, in order to question him regarding his future movements. Well, sir, said he, I ain't as young as I was, and I don't calculate I'll go to sea no more. I proposes to drop anchor here, and hug the land until the old hulk goes to pieces. I got two or three thousand dollars in the locker, and expects to get on uncommon comfortable without asking no odds from the asylum for decayed mariners. My grandfather endorsed the plan warmly, and Sailor Ben did drop anchor in Rivermouth, where he speedily became one of the institutions of the town. His first step was to buy a small one-story cottage, located at the head of the wharf within gunshot of the Nutter House. To the great amusement of my grandfather, Sailor Ben painted the cottage a light sky blue and ran a broad black stripe around it just under the eaves. In this stripe he painted white portholes at regular distances, making his residence look as much like a man-of-war as possible. With a short flagstaff projecting over the door like a bowsprit, the effect was quite magical. My description of the exterior of this palatial residence is complete when I add that the proprietor nailed a horseshoe against the front door to keep off the witches, a very necessary precaution in these latitudes. The inside of Sailor Ben's abode was not less striking than the outside. The cottage contained two rooms, the one opening on the wharf he called his cabin. Here he ate and slept. His few tumblers and a frugal collection of crockery were sat in a rack suspended over the table, which had a cleat of wood nailed around the edge to prevent the dishes from sliding off in case of a heavy sea. Hanging against the walls were three or four highly colored prints of celebrated frigates and a lithograph picture of a rosy young woman insufficiently clad in the American flag. This was labeled Kitty, 
though I'm sure it looked no more like her than I did. A walrus tooth, with an exquimalt engraved on it, a shark's jaw, and the blade of a swordfish were among the enviable decorations in this apartment. In one corner stood his bunk or bed, and in the other his well-worn sea-chest, a perfect Pandora's box of mysteries. You would have thought yourself in the cabin of a real ship. The little room aft, separated from the cabin by a sliding door, was the caboose. It held a cooking stove, pots, pans, and groceries, and a lot of the fishing lines and coils of tarred twine which made the place smell like a forecastle, and delightful smell it is to those who fancy it. Kitty didn't leave our service, but played housekeeper for both establishments, returning at night to Sailor Ben's. He shortly added a weary to his worldly goods, and in the fishing season made a very handsome income. During the winter he employed himself manufacturing crab nets, for which he found no lack of customers. His popularity among the boys was immense. A jackknife in his expert hand was a whole chest of tools. He could whittle out anything from a wooden chain to a Chinese pagoda or a fully rigged seventy-four a foot long. To own a ship of Sailor Ben's building was to be exalted above your fellow creatures. He didn't carve many, and those he refused to sell, choosing to present them to his young friends, of whom Tom Bailey, you may be sure, was one. How delightful it was of those winter nights to sit in his cozy cabin, close to the ship's stove, he wouldn't hear of having a fireplace, and listen to Sailor Ben's yarns. In the early summer twilights, where he sat on the doorstep splicing a rope or mending a net, he always had a bevy of blooming young faces alongside. The dear old fellow! How tenderly the years touched him after this! All the more tenderly it seemed for having roughed him so cruelly in other days. End of chapter 16